And as we press through this first chapter, what we will see in, here in the Word of God as well as in the world is that friendship really is central to life, isn't it? Friendship is integral to life, and we're reminded of this all the time. We're reminded of this through literature and movies and songs as we consider the human experience and our need for friendship. Don't you think that the greatest stories involve friendship? I mean, when you were a kid, didn't you love those stories about friendship the most? Who doesn't love Winnie the Pooh and Piglet? Piglet was a good friend. Or what about Frog and Toad? I mean, I can still read those today. Frog was a faithful friend. When we get a little older, we like Wilbur and Charlotte and Mowgli and Baloo. Well, throughout God's special revelation, throughout His eternal Word delivered to us, we are confronted with the importance of friendship. We see this in the lives of, of David and Jonathan, don't we? We see the importance of friendship in the lives of Moses and Aaron and Elijah and Elisha and Naomi and Ruth. And today, we see it in our text this morning between Paul and Timothy and this man named Onesiphorus. In Proverbs, we read, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We need to remember the context for Paul writing this letter, his very last letter to Timothy. He is in the infamous Roman prison, the Marmotine prison. It's really a dungeon. He's there for his proclamation of the gospel of God's grace in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And he's cold, he's hungry, he's afflicted, he's awaiting execution. And in addition to facing the attacks of Satan through the wrath of Nero, he is also bearing the wounds of betrayal. The ones that hurt the most. The unexpected ones. The betrayal of of friends. Fake friends, you see. You see, in this fallen world of sin and brokenness, true friendship is impossible for those outside of Christ who don't have a heart that's been transformed and changed by the gospel of God's grace so that they might know true life and true friendship in the Lord. That's the only way to have true friendship. Is in Christ. And the greatest story is certainly the story of redemption and the unfolding of of God's plan of bringing true peace and salvation so that the bonds of friendship would be established forever between the Lord and His people. You see, true friendship is only in the Lord and, and it empowers a willingness to put aside one's desires and comforts in order to serve a brother or a sister even when that means suffering to serve them. And true friendship in the Lord is a willingness to share in the mission of guarding and passing on what is most important to the Lord and His people, and that is the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Well, in our text this morning, we see how Paul appeals to Timothy to live faithfully as a faithful friend of the Lord Jesus and the church. And then Paul gives some examples 
of unfaithful friends and a faithful friend. So let's hear God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 18. The Word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed." For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. The word of the Lord. May He write it upon our hearts and souls this day. Well, this brings us to our first main point this morning. Paul says, Timothy, the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal and true faithful friend of sinners. Again, friendship in the Lord is essential to the Christian life. For a person to experience true friendship, they must first be friends with the God of all grace, God the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, the only friend a sinner ever truly had in this world. You see, Jesus is the true faithful friend who is not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of His people. Christ, our faithful friend, He's not ashamed of us. He, he identifies with us. He, he tells us that He is our friend. He came in the glory of the Incarnation to be one with us. He came forth, and by His great gracious love, He despised the shame of the cross that He might have us, His people. He's not ashamed of us. And Jesus, the true faithful friend who has not only not been ashamed of us, but He saved us. That's what Paul says here in verse 9. It's a summation of the gospel. It's a distillation of the gospel message. He says, Jesus saved us by His works, not ours. And it's all to His glory. Salvation is His work. It's not our work. And Christ, our faithful friend, He saved us not because of our dead works, but because of His works and grace. And He saved us not according to our will, but according to His will and His purposes. This is so amazing when we consider it. Our salvation is not an afterthought for God. 
It's not something that just came along later in time and space. No, but it's part of his, his eternal decree before time. God gives us his saving grace in his elect one, Jesus Christ, before we're even born, before the world was even created. He is our representative, our covenant head. He's not ashamed of us, and he saved us. And Paul says he's our true faithful friend because Jesus suffered for us. He suffered our judgment. He died for our forgiveness. He says this in verse 10, Christ stepped out of eternity past into time and space in order to suffer and die for our sin, to experience the eternal judgment of holy God the Father that we might be forgiven. He actively lived every second of His life in perfect conformity to the will of God and the law of God and all that he thought and all that he said and all that he did so that as he went forth to passively suffer upon the cross, he was able each and every moment on the cross to experience the horror of God's judgment poured out upon our sin as the atoning sacrifice that we might truly and really have our our stain removed and His suffering, and the judgment that He received. You see, Christ, our faithful friend and our Savior, He's abolished eternal death by His death and resurrection. And Paul says, Timothy, this Jesus, this glorious Jesus is the true faithful friend who has called us. He's called us into His family. He's given us the gift of faith. Think of the glory of this. Christ called us into His holy family and He gave us the gift of living in sincere faith and the the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives so that we would receive Him. We would believe Him. We would trust Him and confess Him. And in doing so, we would enjoy the glories of being declared righteous in Him that we would stand in the gift of justification in Him, in His family. And Paul says, hallelujah. Jesus, our faithful friend, He will continue to call sinners to Himself. Generation after generation, the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully brings forth His entire flock, all of His sheep, the entirety of His bride. And the Lord determines to do that through the preaching of the gospel. We must see that. Preaching is the primary means in which the gospel is communicated. And this is why Paul is suffering. This is why he is in prison for the gospel. The gospel message of holy God dealing with unholy sinners like you and me. Do you know that hymn, Jesus, what a friend for sinners? That's one of my favorites. Jesus, lover of my soul, hallelujah, what a Savior. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, He is with me to the end. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, but He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a friend. If Christ is truly your great friend, you are yoked to all manner of friends in Christ the bride of Christ, His body. And this is why Paul suffered and is in prison. 
for the gospel, for the, the gift of Christ Jesus proclaimed to a dying world. Jesus, what a friend of sinners. That's the message that must go forth. So is your ultimate confidence found in Jesus Christ, your true friend, your faithful friend? If so, then you'll enjoy true friendship with other believers and you will live and you will serve and you will suffer for the gospel. And that will include a power that God puts into your heart to guard the gospel and to see it passed on in its purity. And that brings us to our second main point here. Paul says, Timothy, in Christ you are called to be a faithful friend of the Lord and His bride. And to be a faithful friend of the Lord and His bride means, Timothy, you must not be ashamed of the gospel or gospel servants. He says this in 8, to, Paul says this uh, in, in verse 8, he says it to Timothy several times in this chapter, you must not be ashamed of the, the gospel testimony. The gospel testimony that is both a testimony, a message of tears and joy. A message of tears and shame, the reality of Christ's painful, shameful death upon the cross. A message of tears. But it's also a message of joy. The, 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 the reality of Christ's resurrection from the grave, His triumph over death. It's a, a message of joy. It's tears and joy. He says, Timothy, you must not be ashamed of the gospel call that, that crushes our sinful flesh. It does. It confronts us. It, it denies our sinful pride. You must not be ashamed of the gospel. You must not be ashamed of fellow gospel servants, fellow friends of the Lord who were called to serve the church by preaching you know, brothers and sisters, this is only possible by the power of Christ within us, the hope of glory, to not be ashamed of the gospel because in our flesh we really are. We detest to hear the truth in our flesh of sin and how bad it really is, especially our sin. And we detest in our flesh to hear how ugly it is and how guilty we are in and of ourselves in our sin. And in our flesh, we don't want to hear the message that we cannot save ourselves. We're ashamed of it. We detest it in our flesh. That we really have nothing to offer God in our fallenness and He must come and rescue us. We're ashamed of that. And this is why we're tempted to cringe when an unbeliever confronts us and says, do you really believe that message. Really? We're tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Well, Paul says, Timothy, be a, a faithful friend of the Lord and His people, and this means you must suffer for the gospel. So clear in verse 9, gospel suffering will come because of your commitment to gospel proclamation, Timothy. Didn't Paul know a lot about suffering? If you've never read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you need to. Because you'll see all that he endured. It was crazy the amount of suffering that Paul endured for the gospel. And without the Lord Jesus, his faithful Savior, his true friend, Paul never would have endured the suffering that he faced. He says, Timothy, be a faithful friend of the Lord and his people. You must protect. 
You must guard, you must preserve, and you must pass on the gospel. That's what Paul says in verses 13 and 14, and this is the big shift in this chapter. The two main themes of chapter 1, suffering for the gospel and guarding the gospel. And Paul calls Timothy a faithful friend of the Lord and his people. You must guard the gospel. You must hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Not a gospel, but the gospel. Not a message, but the message. Not a standard, but the standard. Not a truth, but the truth. The gospel truth. The words of the gospel. And we can only do this with the faith and love that are in Christ. To guard the gospel, you must fight and suffer and serve, not in your own physical steam, but in the power of the Holy Spirit that fills our hearts. You see, the gospel message Jesus entrusted to Paul, Paul now entrusted to Timothy. And it must be safeguarded and passed along. And this is paramount to Timothy's calling and ministry. It was the proclamation of the pure gospel. Timothy's mission is the mission of the church at large. To go forth, to disciple young men, to raise them up, to see the Lord work in their lives, that they might go forth and receive the entrusted gospel in its purity and then share it and preach it. So that those would hear the good news and know. Discipling and raising up leaders in the church to preach and teach the pure gospel and to guard it and even to suffer for it and to pass it along, to share it from place to place in its purity, from congregation to congregation and generation to generation. We must guard the gospel. Because if we don't, how else will it go forth and reach generation after generation. Don't you hear the burden in Paul's voice here to communicate this truth to Timothy at the end of his life? Without the gospel, the church is devastated. Without the gospel message, the church will not be beautified. If the gospel is perverted and corrupted, the next generation will stay in their sinful perversion and corruption. Do you realize that the history of the church is one where bad pastors have ruined the church by not preaching the pure gospel? Do you realize that? Read a little church history. Bad pastors, unfaithful pastors, corrupting the church through their corrupt preaching and teaching. We see it in our own day. It's true. You can hear the intensity and the urgency in Paul's words. Timothy, you must carry the torch of the gospel of God, the message of salvation alone in Christ. It is the word of life. You see, the church must stand upon and proclaim the pure word of the gospel because that's the only word that saves a soul. And that's the only word that nourishes a soul. Remember, Jesus gave the gospel to the apostles. And the apostles went forth proclaiming the gospel. And then there was the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the church spread like fire. And what were they about? Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the gospel, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were about the means of grace The gospel lifted high, 
Christ lifted high. The church spread like fire. Well, brothers and sisters, this is why we have the Apostles' Creed. This is why we have the the faithful confessions and catechisms that point us to the heart of the Scriptures, the heart of the Bible, the Gospel of God that we proclaim together. And you see, Satan hates Christ, and he hates the church. And so he seeks to infiltrate the church with, with men who don't love the Lord Jesus Christ and who do not love the Gospel. What a powerful weapon that is. A smart bomb. Psychological warfare. You see, when men do not love Christ and His gospel and they're given spiritual authority over others and they preach heresy, it brings chaos. We see it. And we need to remember the context. You see, the the church in Ephesus was home to the temple of Artemis. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This, this city, Ephesus, at the very heart, at the very center of the city, was this massive temple to idolatry, to worshiping false gods, the gods of self and money and pleasure, materialism, sensuality and greed. And these things were infiltrating the church even at the very beginning And there were those who were perverting the true gospel to manipulate and to control others. Even when Paul writes this letter, there were those who identified themselves as Christians in the church that denied that Jesus had even come in the flesh. He just appeared as a man. There were those in the church that denied the resurrection altogether. The nature of Christ, the reality of resurrection. There were those who denied that the resurrection um, was coming because it had already happened in mass, but somehow the church just missed it. Think about what was taking place. Well, as we move forward in this letter, we're going to see how Paul speaks about what he calls the fables taught by heretics. Those who are imprisoned by deceiving spirits who teach doctrines of demons. Paul will warn Timothy that false gospels abound and they make shipwreck of souls and families and churches. So, brothers and sisters, are you called to be one of Christ's friends? Are you? Do you hold fast to God's Word? Do you hold fast to God's Gospel and sincere faith and love? Do you you suffer for your testimony of Christ? Your witness to the Lord who has saved you, the power of God, salvation in Christ. Have you lost friends? Have you lost respect and influence in the eyes of others? Do you strive by the Holy Spirit to guard the Gospel and to pass it on to the next generation? To pass it on to your kids and your grandkids and your covenant kids. Do you pass on the gospel? Well, there are true friends and there are fake friends. A fake friend is all talk and no walk when it matters. And a true friend doesn't just say that he is a friend, but he shows it when it matters in actions and love. And so Paul gives Timothy both a warning and an encouragement by examples. And that's what we see next, our third main point. Timothy, be warned. 
Do not be like unfaithful Phygelus and Hermogenes. Verse 15. Here we see the example of unfaithful friends who are fake servants. And you see, there's nothing more painful than being betrayed by a friend. You know, when you come to that point in your life where you're most vulnerable and you have the greatest need and it will cost your friend something to serve you, then, then you see the true heart of a true friend. Or you see the true nature of a fake friend. And ultimately what Paul says, he says, these unfaithful servants were ashamed of the gospel. They were ashamed of Christ and the gospel. He says, you are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Again, it's important to remember the context. By Asia, Paul means Asia Minor. He means the Roman province that is the area of modern-day western Turkey. And what is the capital city of Asia? Ephesus. And who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus? Timothy. And Paul says, these men, they did not stand with God's gospel servant in his suffering. Wow. They didn't stand with Paul in his hour of suffering. They didn't stand by the gospel of God as proclaimed by the apostle of Christ. They did not minister to Paul's needs in his hour of greatest suffering. We need to realize something about a Roman dungeon and the reality of a prisoner awaiting execution. They didn't take tax money and then provide three hot meals and a cot and a TV for prisoners in a Roman dungeon. You see, the only way that you would receive the basic necessities of life is that someone had to come forth and claim a prisoner as their friend or a family member, and by doing so, they would identify with them. They would suffer the indignity of their incarceration in order to serve their friend in his need. To give them water and food and clothing. These men didn't do that. They sought the preservation of self instead of the proclamation of Christ. These men fled. They turned away from Paul. They denied him. They distanced themselves from him and from the gospel and from the Christ of the gospel. They didn't want to be implicated as Christians. They wanted to preserve their own temporal selfish desires instead of suffering for the gospel and holding fast to the eternal glory of Christ. Think about this. These unfaithful men were more concerned about earthly chains than the message that saves us from spiritual eternal chains. They valued their possessions, their reputation, so they turned away. This is a loaded phrase. And this is why Paul says, Timothy, you are aware of this. You're the minister there in Ephesus. You know these men. You need to be made aware of their sins and the reality of their faithlessness, their abandonment of the gospel and of me, the prisoner of the gospel. Be warned, Timothy. These men are fake servants. They are unfaithful. This is painful, don't you think? 
Well, have you been faithful to the Lord? Then you'll be rejected by the world. And you will be disappointed by some who profess faith in Christ. And perhaps you'll be betrayed. How painful. Paul, in his hour of greatest need, being betrayed. How painful for Paul. No doubt the temptation of the world and the flesh and the devil were crying out to Paul to despair and curse God and to turn away from the gospel, to deny Christ. But Christ said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the Lord gave Paul the gift of a true faithful friend. That's our final thought. Paul says, Timothy, be like our faithful friend in Christ, Onesiphorus. It's so beautiful. Verses 16 to 18, we see the example of a faithful friend who is an authentic servant. Paul says, Timothy, this man, this brother, he was not ashamed of Christ or the gospel or me. Timothy, be like Onesiphorus. Paul says, all that who were here from Asia, they abandoned me except for the one, this one, Onesiphorus, he was not ashamed. The actions of this faithful friend of Jesus, who was therefore a faithful friend of Paul, they're beautiful. What a blessing for Paul to have his needs met there in in this moment of greatest need. And this man came forth, and think about how hard this must have been. I mean, here is this one man seeking one man in the midst of the huge city of Rome without Facebook and Twitter. So he's going around from place to place, crying out, does anyone know where Paul is? Where is the Apostle Paul, the preacher of Christ Jesus, the King of Kings? It was no secret why Paul was in prison. It was for his preaching of Christ. And Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul's gospel chains, and he identified himself with Paul because he identified himself with Christ, the chain breaker. Think about that. You see, the one who broke off Onesiphorus's chains of sin and death and condemnation was the one who set him free to run the race of faith and obedience even when it cost him that he suffered in his service. Think about that. He was a faithful friend who suffered and served the Lord and his bride. This man offered up costly service for the gospel and for Paul as a servant of the gospel. For Onesiphorus to serve Paul, he had to identify with Paul. He had to identify with Christ in the gospel. And no doubt he was harassed and he was threatened and and he knew ridicule. Only the Lord knows what he, he endured. But think about the cost, the expense, the danger, the time. And in verse 16 we read, He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He didn't do it just once. He didn't do it just twice. He did it again and again and again to serve Paul. 
we see in Paul's prayer for Onesiphorus. Such a beautiful prayer that he and his family were blessed and will be blessed in the Lord. We can't miss this at the end here of this chapter. Onesiphorus had been foreknown and loved by God and Christ before the foundation of the world, and the Lord had prepared good works for this man to do as part of his spiritual act of worship. He was saved in the Lord by his grace so that he was filled up with grace and it overflowed. He had been so blessed that he sought to be a blessing. And that blessing kept going. Notice that the blessing of salvation manifested in the life of service are not only for Onesiphorus, but also for his household. Isn't this interesting? I mean, think about it. What a joy. What a testimony. What a gift to have Onesiphorus, this man who was perhaps a husband, a father, a brother, an uncle, a grandfather who was in covenant friendship and fellowship with the Lord of the universe, sharing Christ, changed by the gospel, serving the Lord. And Paul's prayer is not just for Onesiphorus to experience mercy in the moment, but it's a double prayer. He says, on that day, may he and his household experience mercy. What is that day? Well, it's the Lord's day. It's the day of judgment. It's the day when Christ shall separate the sheep from the goats. And Paul prays for this man that he would find shelter under the wings of Jesus. The true prophet, the true priest, and the true king of God Most High. That he would know joy on that day. Isn't this amazing? Well, Paul was a passionate man with powerful affections for the Lord and for fellow believers in Christ. And you can feel the sincerity of his love as he pours out his heart in prayer for this brother who has so faithfully served him as a true friend in Christ. Having received mercy, he showed mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, brothers and sisters, do you show mercy? to the friends of Jesus. Blessed are those who show mercy to Christ's servants. They shall be blessed. You know, we never really know how our service will be used, but here we see the glory that faith working in love for the friends of Christ is never, ever, ever done in vain. God uses it. He blesses it. And hallelujah, our great shepherd king, our savior, our great friend, the only true friend of sinners, he serves us yet again today in the reading and the preaching of his gospel. And he guards our hearts and our minds by his love. And in the gift of the Lord's Supper, as we eat and drink with him by faith, he seals our hearts ever deeper with his promise of divine and eternal blessed friendship, the peace of the gospel. Friendship with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord Almighty, we thank You. King Jesus, Lord of the universe, that You are our faithful friend. And You've done everything necessary that we might have life and salvation. 
wholeness in you. We pray, O Lord, that you would feed us now at your table. And we thank you for the blessing of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.